0: Serrano. I'm Ariana Ruiz. I'm Renee Rocha. And this is Imagining Latinidades. Thank you so much for for joining us on the Imagining Latinidades podcast. Uh, This is Daryl Wanzer-Serrano, and I am joined today by uh, an amazing guest who happens to be on campus uh, as part of our film series for Imagining Latinidades, uh, and that person is Iris Morales.
1: Hello, Daryl. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, a pleasure to be here as part of Latinidades and to be able to show uh, palante, siempre palante.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming. I've been wanting to, I've been wanting to bring you to campus for a very long time, and so it's nice to have the opportunity to finally do it uh, and to be able to show your film and have you here for q and A Q&A afterward. So there's, there's like a million things I would want to talk with you about, and you know, we could, we could probably do an entire podcast series of just conversations about stuff because you have an amazing life, um, that is full of activism and organizing, um, and really just like, you know, making such a significant difference in people's lives. Um, I mean, I know that personally, just from the difference you've made in my life, um, ever since we started chatting about the young Lords, um, a while ago,
1: mm-hmm.
0: 15, 16 years ago, something like that.
1: It's been a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs>
0: um, but today what I'd really like to talk with you about is uh, is is student organizing um, and connections between you know, Puerto Rican studies, Latina, Latina, Latinx studies, um, and the broader communities that those fields emerge from and speak to both inside and outside of academia, um, you know, this is a theme that uh, that we've talked about on this podcast and in our Imagining Latinidades programming uh, across this year. It's a theme that's really important to us because, you know, from from our perspective, and I think I think from history's perspective, and I think you share this perspective too. Uh, you know, Puerto Rican studies, Chicano Chicano studies, Latina Latina Latinx studies. Doesn't emerge out of a vacuum. It's not a purely academic exercise. Um, the fact of the matter is that uh, that these fields don't exist without uh, organizing and agitation from students and from broader communities. Right, uh, and so you know as we're celebrating this year the. 50th anniversary of black and Puerto Rican studies at, you know, in CUNY. Um, And uh, as we've been celebrating these, these kinds of things over the last year or so, the 50th anniversary of the young Lords um, in New York, you know, it's, it's important to recognize that, that this, that this stuff doesn't happen in the academic context without these broader kinds of social movements, providing the scaffolding, Right for it to, for the ideas to, to to then emerge within the academic context. And there has to be a reciprocal relationship there too, right? That once it does emerge in that academic context, there seems to, to, to me at least, there's a responsibility to engage, to, to not just engage those ideas in the vacuum of the academy, but to, to engage those ideas in a way that maintains and cultivates that connection to community. So that's the kind of like impetus that's the the setup for my question, but my question is really <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought that was your question <laughs> well well I, I i
0: mean i'd like i'd like to I'd like to get you to historicize it a little bit because like you know, you, you were there, right? I mean, you're you're there at, as these ideas are bubbling to the surface, and not in a passive way, right? Right? You're you're instigating these ideas coming to the surface. You're part of the group of people who's making demands, right, in the CUNY system uh, to uh, to to have you know to to make Puerto Ricans seen, right, and to make to 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 make the the kind of like our presence like valued and important, uh, in an educational context. Uh, so like you were there and I want to hear more about that. I think our listeners want to hear more about that.
1: Well, you know me. And so, you know, that I will start from the, from the perspective that we were part of, of a specific time where there was a lot of movement happening and there was a lot of change happening in In this country, and so I want to position the the struggle for Puerto Rican studies and black studies and all the other studies that we have now that we didn't even envision at that point within that context that we were part of something bigger and something broader in the society, yeah, because these movements, these historical points come around. Every so often, we make them or we pressure them or we shape them. Um, They're not always there. And sometimes in the quiet moments, we don't realize that those are also opportunities for when those bigger movements uh, or, or, or more pressing movements come to the fore. And so... The war in Vietnam was impacting our communities. You know, it was uh, poor working class, uh, young black and brown men that were uh, going to fight that war. And in New York City in, in particular, the situation for uh, young Puerto Ricans was not great. Uh, we, we became the generation that started to go into the universities So we were also the generation because our parents came from Puerto Rico and our parents were part of this huge migration. They came with all the hope for us um, who that generation suffered discrimination, suffered uh, horrible working conditions, and we were able to see that. I always think of uh, how I translate it. As a matter of fact, in the Balante book, the first book, um, that's what I talk about, being yeah. the go-between, the translator. And I I think what, what I say about that is that I was able to see um, racism, exploitation up front mm-hmm. from a very young age. That influenced me individually, but I think that was the experience that our generation was going through. And and so by the time we get to the university and City University at that point, which was a public uh, university that had been schooling immigrants, uh, European immigrants, for generations, it was free university. And um, we were finding that maybe we had 3% African American and Puerto Rican at that time uh student population within that university system. And by way of backstory, there were other players, sure right So there there were educators, uh, you know, our elders concerned about what was happening with uh, black and brown youth and the and, and our opportunities for education. And there were also uh, some legislators that were concerned. And I bring these pieces into, into play because it took a lot of different, you know, we hear about the, uh, the demonstrations, but it took a lot of different pieces to make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. And not everybody is at the front lines, not everybody's at the picket line, and sometimes people are someplace else, but they're doing something good, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes uh, we have a tendency not to recognize or we have a tendency to think that there's not value in that. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm a front lines person and, you know, that's where I can make my contribution. That's where I did. But so we were part of this generation that had to fight even to get through the front door. And so th- these other folks were in the background trying to set up programs mm-hmm. in the city university. I want to mention this because. This core of young people that were brought into the university through special pilot programs for underprivileged, deprived or whatever else words they use for us brought in black and brown working class kids into the university who then stood there, took the classes and looked around and said, whoa, there's nothing here that talks about my experience um, all that I see here kind of diminishes who I am. Um, And so at City College, that was manifested in something called the pre-baccalaureate program, where 117 uh, students, uh, primarily black and Puerto Rican, were admitted. um, Students that could not have made it in. Through the regular criteria at that time. Mm-hmm. So, definitely, we're a back door. Considered we were treated like a back door. But as I said yesterday, you may come in the back door, but you have to go out the front door. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to let you out the back door. You got to right. go out the front door. Same thing happened in law school. You know, people, yeah. oh, you're coming in through the back door. You know, I said, yeah, but you got to take that bar exam like everybody else. And they put your name in the. In the New York Times, if you pass and if you fail, everybody knows it because your name's not there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, we quickly became concerned by the low numbers of uh, black and Puerto Rican students uh, when the public high school population was 70% and yet in the university had 3%. Yeah. We also became concerned that there were no classes. I told the story, the first class that they offered us was a Puerto Rican studies class that they titled from pre-Columbus to 1898. And <laughs> We said, whoa, that does not make any sense. <laughs> and we were hungry. We were a generation that was hungry. Yeah. And and the, this kind of... Uh, Inquiry was taking place at all the universities with, um, you know, uh, African-American and, and Latino students everywhere. So I was at the 50th anniversary in, in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. earlier this year. And at Hunter College and at City College, we we had our 50th. So this has been the year to celebrate. But all over the country, these activities. In California, we had the first, some of the first. with. Yeah chicano students so and we were aware uh that we were you know that we were looking to each other we were learning our own history from each other because we didn't have the books yeah you know i mentioned that the center for puerto rican studies was developed in 1973 and i'm talking about you know 65 yeah so we had no books on this And we were hungry, so we were teaching each other. We would find, we'd say, oh, Julio knows history. Why don't we get him to come? So Julio would come, and 50 of us would be sitting there, and he would be rapping Puerto Rican history and would be asking questions, and we'd be like, we were in heaven learning our history (laughs) and learning that we had done things, you know, that uh, learning why our parents were here, right? Because we had been led to believe um, that our parents were inadequate, and that's why we we were poor. Mm-hmm. So, um, we started organizing and and at most of the city universities, you had some type of African American organization. But at that time, as I said, in terms of Puerto Ricans, we were the first big group coming through. There had been other Puerto Ricans, and we looked at them with awe. We knew all their names. Oh, so, so-and-so went to this school. Really? He was Puerto Rican? Wow, she was Puerto Rican? You know, but they were like few and far between that we heard about. It was like uh, urban legends, you know, yeah. uh, to be able to get a degree. And remember, all of our families aspired like, oh, if they could get uh, more education, you know, my mother had a third grade education. My father had a sixth grade, so they were wow, she could get more education yeah. and so we organized and we we started to negotiate with the administration and put together our our demands, which included things like uh puerto rican and 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 black studies included the hiring of uh, puerto Rican. And and black f- faculty and administration, we had uh, a particular demand that education majors should be studying Puerto Rican history mm-hmm. and black history, which is not a demand that usually people hear about, but that is very important. Oh, it's so important. I mean, the,
0: yeah, not to not to derail, but the, this is something that I've been that I've been ranting about here at at Iowa because you know the 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 population of the of primary schoolers right is is pretty rapidly changing here in iowa right and I don't think education is keeping up I mean right. you look at you, know, you look at the demographics and the college of education here, and it has one of the lowest populations of Latino students right um, The College of Liberal arts and Sciences has one of the highest um, but it's only maybe i think it's somewhere around three percent students. I don't know that they have any faculty, right, who are, you know, Latino, Latino, Latinx faculty uh, who are teaching the future teachers, right, who are in those education preparation programs. Um, And, you know, there's there are school districts that are 20, 25 percent Latino students here in Iowa.
1: Yep. It's a big problem, and I think we recognized it be- from our own experience, having been in the public school system. yeah. We recognize it. I know when I was in the Young Lords, I mentioned um, to you yesterday that one of the first things that that I did was to come in and 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 help some of the uh, young lords that were becoming members to learn how to read and write. Mm. Because we had young people that had been through the school system that didn't know how to read and write yeah uh, and so we, we did it with the red book. we did it with materials that were relevant uh, to people and people learned how to read and write and then went on to learn how to read um you know political economy and things that are usually people think only people in college can read. Mm-hmm so but we understood how important that was and there were so many of us and um that 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 became one of our demands the other demand that that i always find like fascinating and so strategic for young people to have come up with this was uh the demand that the that the um incoming class reflect the population of high school students so that i always find it um fascinating that young people would come up with this particular demand that that the entering class reflect in terms of numbers reflect the population in the public high schools that at that point was like 70 percent. so that's what we were calling for
0: yeah that's such a smart strategic demand because if you just do it by like the population of the state, right. Then they can get away with, with nothing. Right. Right. Uh, Or the broader population of the city, even they can get away with nothing. But yeah, that's really smart.
1: That was very, very smart. I don't remember who came up with it because, you know, these conversations were collective um, and individual, but they were also, as in any movement, they were also developing and evolving over time. So the time period here um, might've been two years, mm-hmm. but it's important to know that you don't sit down when they pop up and then you create a movement. Right. And I mentioned that cause I've been places and sometimes, you know, students will ask me questions like that, you know, um, with the enthusiasm of wanting to get going right away. And I, say, you know, these things do take. We have to organize ourselves, and then we have to see who our allies are. And one of the things that was very important about City College is that we were in Harlem. Mm-hmm. We were up on the hill in Harlem, and great writers had written about the university up on the hill going back to the Harlem Renaissance. Mm-hmm. And so there were eyes on... um city college and mm-hmm. what was happening there both with these students that had come in as you know through the back door so to speak and through their demands and through the demands of the community we had a lot of support from the community people bringing us food and i think it's uh those connections are extremely important to me these movements come from the people mm-hmm they reflect the desires and needs of the people. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they, they sustain and sometimes they become something else.
0: Yeah. And I want to come back to that point. That, but one thing that you mentioned to when you visited my class yesterday, um, that I think is really important here too, is that uh, it also involves training that next generation, especially when you're talking about educational context where, you know, people are only here for, Theoretically, four years, usually five years, sometimes six years. But, you know, there's a lot of turnover and it's easy. I think what you said yesterday was, you know, it's easy for the administration to just kind of wait you out. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And that happens everywhere. And that's always, you know, something that you have to keep into account in your Mm -hmm. organizing. Uh, Sometimes I think our organizing has kind of, I don't know what you call this around it. Um, what would you call this kind of a a blinders on Mm -hmm. that we just see what's immediately to the side and in front of us Mm -hmm. without seeing what's on top and what's at the bottom and what's like three dimensional.
0: Yeah. You get kind of a tunnel vision and just focus on that, that thing that's most present to you right at that moment.
1: Yeah. And, and so I encourage multidimensional thinking because at the same time that that there's that strategy then we have to counter a different strategy that yeah. says you know as those young people come in start training training them developing them but also recognizing as part of that training that conditions change so for example in 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 the city university that I'm familiar with the student population started to change. Mm-hmm. So now it wasn't just Puerto Ricans. You had Dominicans. You had Africans. You had other folks coming in, and then th- that also affected the student organizing because all of a sudden people started w- organizing. You know, the Dominican student organization, the Puerto Rican student, the Caribbean student, organ- the you know all these different parts and i would when i speak i say you have 3 people in each organization
0: <laughs> yeah
1: so why not everybody come together i mean <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so the administration is able to take uh advantage of that too just sure. like in the broader society sure and it doesn't mean we all have to be in the same thing but we have to be able to work together yeah i think that the other very important thing about these student struggles was the unity with black and and, and Puerto Rican mm-hmm. students. Uh, I mean, and we had differences, and sometimes, you know, the Puerto Ricans were thinking like, well, they put us second, and we don't want to be second, or the, the African Americans would say, well, they're riding on our coattails, and there would be a lot of negotiation. I'm not trying to make it sound like it was uh, a walk in the park either. Uh, Because we have to be real, and sometimes if we're not real, then we're not believable. Mm -hmm. So, um, But we worked through those. Why? Because what we had in common, what we would gain was bigger than all of that. Mm -hmm. And that was also, you know, for, for young people to recognize that, was was very significant. And and I think part of that development was because of the moment that we were living in terms of history and what was happening in the world. If you think about it, the 60s and the 70s, we're still living with a lot of gains that were made during that time, with a lot of changes, a lot of the, those legacies. I mean, people still reference those. Uh, the the individuals and the movements and the cultural changes that and, and thinking and the individual freedoms and all of that mm-hmm. uh, that has to go into the mix. And we were part of that. So um, then the city college took over, formed the committee of 10, put forward five demands, closed the uh, campus, had allies, in, in the white student movement, um, the university was divided between North and South. South was the social sciences. North was the, you know, engineering. And and, and so we had a lot of support on the South. Those were the buildings <sighs> we took over. <laughs> People were coming with blankets and food and then the negotiation. And we had the support of these um African-American and Latino politicians and educators. We had great educators on our side, Um, people that were heading up some of these programs that were set up specifically for uh, black and Latino students. And so that combination gave us a big win. And also it was just, and it was time. Yeah. To expand the intellectual knowledge available in a university. How could you argue that? To bring in the histories and the contributions of other peoples. Uh, There was a lot of interest in African history at that point, Mm -hmm. you know, so... I mean, to study all of Africa, we still don't do a good job on that. Right. I mean, people talk about Africa like it's one country, Africa, is huge. Right. And the contributions and the struggles uh, of that continent are monumental. People don't want to talk about it, that. Latin America, I, I, start, I started to study Latin American history as a result. Mm-hmm. Um so it was an important moment for students. And by that time, I was uh, going in another direction, which is I really felt that I wanted to return to the community and do organizing there. I I had been a tenant organizer before, came to work with students and went then wanted to return back to the community. as just where I, f- I felt I could continue to make a contribution. Yeah. And in working with um, in the community, we also worked with students and one of the organizations that I wanted to highlight that kind of had seeds at that moment, city college kind of led this struggle at, at that particular moment. And then there were other universities. I mean, every university uh, students at every university got into it.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And out of all of these struggles, the Puerto Rican student union developed and it's been understudied as far as I'm concerned, although I know there are several scholars working on yeah. doing, you know, doing uh, some historical research. So, but the Puerto Rican student union was made up of, uh, working class Puerto Ricans, men and women and formed on every campus formed beyond, uh, Um, New York City formed throughout and had chapters in in, uh, universities throughout the Northeast Uh in particular. Uh, And what is so significant to me about them is not only that they fought for the rights of students, but that they really believed that the student struggle was connected to the community struggle. Yeah. One of the beautiful things that they did in in New York was that they established uh, – there was no lot in the South Bronx. I don't know if you know about it or if you – anyway, it was all filled with garbage, and they decided to clean it out, mm-hmm. and that was part of the student work. You had to – you know, you just automatically – it wasn't that you called it even community work. You just automatically knew that you had to work with your community. Uh-huh wasn't community service we didn't call it that and they cleaned out the lot and they named it they put murals on the side of one of the buildings and they named it la plaza borinqueña okay and we had so many demonstrations and gatherings and community uh festivals there it became a viable community space Mm -hmm. it was students that created that um and the Puerto Rican Student Union became politicized also and became affiliated with the Young Lords. Yeah. Their their pat- platform included not not only educational issues. The Puerto Rican Student Union also had an anti-imperialist platform. Okay. In other words, they connected the dots of the racism and the miseducation that students were facing with all the other injustices that were taking place okay and they participated greatly in the uh organizing of the demonstration to the united nations where we had 30,000 people they were part of um co-sponsoring It was actually Hildemar Ortiz and myself that coordinated the student conference at Uh Columbia University. And the purpose of of that conference was to raise, it was the first Puerto Rican student conference. Yeah, And now you've had many since then. But it was the first one at Columbia University. Again, we had to gather the forces. We had one or two people, Puerto Ricans at, at Columbia University, and they helped us get the venue. And uh, then all the chapters brought students, made sure students came and students came from all over. And we had all these conferences, including things like the role of women, you know, which at that time was like, wow. You know, it was uh, it was uh, very forward thinking. Um, And the purpose, one of the purposes of the conference was to form free Puerto Rico Now committees on every campus. So we were connecting our history in Puerto Rico with the diaspora, mm-hmm. although we didn't use that terminology at right. that time, but that's that's what was happening. We were connecting, and it would be natural for us to connect that because we we considered ourselves internationalists. We were connecting with struggles that were happening all over the world and with we were supporting the anti-colonial struggle of the Vietnamese people. So how would we not support the anti-colonial struggle of Puerto Rico? Yeah. So we were starting to understand a lot of those concepts and then trying trying our best to take action. Mm-hmm. Because we knew that we had the theoreticians among us. And we said the theory was not Theory was okay, but theory was not going to make the change. We used to call it armchair revolutionaries. I don't know if you still use that term. That term term still gets used, yeah, sure, sure. So, so, um, But it was a very uh, action-oriented time, and it was a very important time uh, for students. And, you know, we're living in another moment where you know, we have to take action because we can't take for granted that what we won yesterday we'll have tomorrow. You know, the struggle is constant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I think that that continues. That point remains important. I think for a lot of um, Latino, Latino, Latinx studies programs right today, especially in this era of austerity, where especially at public universities right and colleges they're constantly looking for you know they're constantly having their funding cut by state legislatures mm. um, and looking for places to kind of make consolidations and cuts and stuff um, it's it's what makes it a challenge for sure like here at Iowa we're one of the youngest Latino studies programs around right, right? this is our This is our fifth year um, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to grow, right? Mm -hmm. How do you grow um, uh, when there's always, you know, the the constant pressures to kind of like shrink, right? Uh, And so that that struggle is kind of an ongoing, you know, always having to find those, uh, those to find and build those coalitions um, and to, you know, constantly be making the argument for continued relevance and importance. And that's the kind of like, you know, hearing you talk about the demands that you were making uh, as a, as an undergraduate in the sixties, it reminds me of the, the same kinds of dynamics and needs that we see here at a place like the university of Iowa today, right. Where, you know, the the university's done a good job of recruiting, a pretty good job of recruiting students, uh, especially undergraduate students, um, but lags in the recruitment and retention of faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's it's a it's not a, a kind of holistic approach that's being taken, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so our you know, our students, I think, like you at at their age. Are hungry for mm-hmm. this knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're hungry to build community. Um, and I think they're, you know, I think that they're they do a really good job of helping to kind of build those bonds amongst each other, right? And to and to craft out those spaces of community and of belonging, um, even when it doesn't seem like the university is supportive of that, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think that that making the connection to, that, uh, to the kind of like the, the scholarly side of things, right? In terms of like really creating those spaces for intellectual belonging within the university um, and making Latina, Latino, Latinx studies matter beyond the kind of like confines of our unit mm-hmm. and of uh, the Latina, Latino, Latinx students who are here. That's, a, you know, that's another kind of struggle that's connected to this. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, a couple of things. I always think of what is the purpose of things. And so for, from what I have seen traveling around the country and speaking to students is the university for Latinx students is extremely important to learn about who we are yeah. and our history. So many young people come in and like, like myself didn't know our history because it's not being taught in the high schools or in the primary school in New York city. We don't have Puerto Rican history still in the high yeah. schools. Yeah. So you have teachers individually, but it's not part of the curriculum. Yeah.
0: It's so just wild.
1: it's, 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 it's incredible. You know, <laughs> it's the largest Puerto Rican community, you know, was till recently. Mm-hmm. In the United States and they don't have the history. So, so we have a choice then. Well, we have several choices, actually. One is we have to take responsibility for it and try and do the best that we can uh, to make sure that it's not lost, whether it's films or books or workshops or public libraries or whatever it is that we need to do. Two, we need to fight the powers that be for the resources that we need, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other set of of bringing people together, and you know, time commitment. The other thing that I that I find is that uh, scholars have changed because you now have a, for, for from my eyes, a huge network of Latinx scholars that did not exist 50 years ago. And um, as as I often say, I hope to one day have a Latinx professor take a class that I can have. I go around saying, can I take your class? Because I never had. I I feel like that's on my bucket list. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Come to
0: Iowa for a semester. You can take
1: a (laughs) class. So, but... The scholars then become very important. Yeah. And I think among the scholars today, um, it divides into the two. You have the scholars that take on the responsibility and and lovingly help bring younger scholars along. And then you have the scholars that get into contemplating their navel. And the uh, I don't mean to be highly critical but you know that's that doesn't suit our purposes of people yeah i really believe that if we follow we are guided by our history and by the needs of our people first of all our sheer numbers are going to make us heard it's not like they declare a party and they say okay now you can come in to the scholarship. Right. And what have we done? We've created great journals of our own, great books of our own, great conferences of our own. We don't always have to feel like we need to belong there. Maybe they need to belong where we are. Yeah. Maybe they need to say, you know, we would like to be where you are. And more importantly, maybe we need to create a bigger book that includes everything that needs to be included and includes us as well. Because, you know, in, in, all my study of history and I, I call myself an independent scholar. Um, and, and all that I try and do is I try and create a space for us. Yeah. You know, for Puerto Rican history, for feminist history, for, uh, coalitions, the importance of coalitions, recognizing uh our international uh our international relationship to other poor people around the world Mm -hmm. you know recognizing that who's suffering first who's who's been suffering this climate injustice who's been the global south who's been yeah right uh and that will take me to hurricane maria i know we weren't supposed to talk about that but i can't help myself talk about um, the importance of what is happening in Puerto Rico and how proud I was to see the governor, the people tell the governor get out of town, and he had. Yeah. To get- <laughs> He had to get out of town. <laughs> he resisted. <laughs> and then he was such a coward. He went on, uh, uh, what was it, Facebook to say, was oh, it yeah. Facebook to say, yeah. oh, I think I'm leaving on Friday so that he could have time between now and Friday to destroy all all his corruption documents. Uh-huh. Right. So, So he could shred everything that he had done including call, calling women whores and, you know, everything else. Yeah. That he, and, and and talking about with his buddies of uh, throwing the cadavers of people who had died during Maria to the cows. I mean, despicable stuff that yeah, we now shameful. see happening all over Latin America. Mm-hmm. We're in a period where, you know, what we say matters, although we don't always know if what is being said is true. Yeah right? People even questioning, is there anything such thing's truth? And then we get all confused. So we have to find anchor points. I always look for anchor points when I'm spiraling out of control. (laughs) And to me, the uh, you know, like my mother becomes, you know, sometimes I need to visualize somebody. Mm -hmm. And in my writing, I do that. I visualize a young student that I want to read this or I think about my mom, you know, who who had three, third grade education and was orphaned and taken out of school and uh, who always encouraged me to get an education. Estudia, you know, don't be like me, right?
0: <laughs> I may have heard those same things as yes. a, as a kid.
1: Yes. So imagine that hope in us yeah. and then we have to carry that hope forward. Right we have to take it forward and not take it for granted. You know, sometimes when we, we gain something, we take it for granted. And so I think it's the scholars also have to take that responsibility because it was, was a scholar that influenced you. Mm -hmm. It was a scholar that influenced me. Yeah. And, And that they, that they saw part of their, it wasn't, you know, like it was part of their being to inform, to educate, to, you know, motivate, to bring, to offer gifts of knowledge Yeah. that we didn't have.
0: Yeah, that's great. Inspiring words. I thank you so much for uh, for being here with me and for for agreeing to sit down for the podcast and for visiting Iowa and doing the the film screening later today. I mean this this episode will air um you know next month in January, but uh but you know your your words and your advice and your wisdom are timeless of course.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Um so, you know, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, on Twitter. We're at imagining lat for the podcast. Um, and if you'd uh, like to engage us via email, you can shoot us one at podcast at imagining dot Um, I will be sure to uh, to put up links to uh, to Edith Morales's work, uh, to Red Sugar Cane Press, um, and uh, and other things that we've talked about uh, in the show notes. So please be sure to check those. Uh, please also share this podcast with friends uh, and subscribe. Subscription is so important. Uh, the more people subscribe, uh, the more it helps to uh, to 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 kind of give us visibility. Uh, it doesn't hurt to get uh, to get five-star ratings, so please do that as well if you are so inclined. Uh, thanks for listening in, uh, and again, please check the show notes for all the links and sites that we mentioned today. Thank you again for being with
1: us. It was my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks, y'all.